if you're observing. Now, you might have noticed, if you're observant, like me, that there are a few people missing this morning. Who's missing? There's a whole pile of women at a weekend away uh, studying this morning. So it's a little bit kind of cold and lonely in here. And to take pity on the preacher, I'm going to do what he probably doesn't dare do. Okay, I'm going to dare you to move forward at least two rows. If you're in the front row, you get an exemption. You get a high five from me if you're there already. It's very lonely preaching to people sitting in the back. Come on, you can do it at least a couple of rows. Mr. Brown Cow, you can do at least three rows and into the middle section. You really can. It's, he's done one. He's a proper Anglican. Just one. Go and do a second, I dare you, Rick. Do a second. Come on. Please? No. Good on you. All right. Um, I'm going to read from the Bible in a moment, but let's just take a moment to uh, pray for ourselves that God's word might live in us. And you might like to pray uh, for the women's retreat and their study of God's word together this morning as well. Let's just pray for a moment quietly. Dear Lord, may your word live in us and bear much fruit to your glory. Amen. Okay, from Romans chapter 12, the first six verses, on your phone or on page 922 of these red Bibles. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one of another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given us. 
May your word live in us and bear much fruit to your glory. Good morning, everyone. Thanks so much for moving forward. Thanks, John, for asking everyone to do that. Um, It's great to be with you. It's great to see the true believers here today. The other true believers are on retreat, of course. Um, Let me pray. Ah, dear God, I want this sermon to glorify you and edify your people. Please empower me to do so uh, by your Holy Spirit. Cause our hearts to be receptive to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our new series, The Stones Will Cry Out, is about worship. Uh, What we're seeking to do in this series is grow in our understanding of what worship is. In the Westminster Catechism, it states, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Um, Now, forgive the gender-exclusive language there. What the writer really means is um, our ultimate purpose as human beings, men, women, and children, is to glorify God and enjoy him. C.S. Lewis writes about enjoying. He says, when we delight to praise what we enjoy, well, we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. You know what that's like if you're going for a beautiful bushwalk or something and you see, you all of a sudden turn a corner and you see this grand vista, um, say in the Blue Mountains or something, straight away, You've got to mention it. You've got to tell whoever you're with, look at this, it's glorious. The praise kind of completes the whole enjoyment of it. Praise and worship are natural, are the natural result of sensing, by which sensing in its true sense, seeing, touch, tasting, feeling, hearing what is true about God. In particular, his righteousness, his glory. Uh, We see in the scriptures that there's this kind of movement towards God's glory being revealed and all of creation responding to that, humanity in particular, to the praise or with praise and worship of God. Well, our series is called The Stones Will Cry Out, and of course that is a quote from Jesus, our Lord Jesus, as he was going up to Jerusalem at the beginning of his Passion Week, And all of the disciples that are there are praising God and proclaiming him as the son, the king of David. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Now some Pharisees took exception to this and they asked Jesus, just tell your disciples to stop. Quell them. Stop worshipping God so demonstrably. To which Christ responded, if they keep quiet... The stones will cry out. Because God is revealing his glory, praise and worship are inevitable. That's the result. As people begin to see who God is, understand him, his glory. It's where all of history is heading. When you read the scriptures, you see the end result of all creation is worship of God. 
Christians are often maligned for being out of date. We're told that we're on the wrong side of history. We're not really progressive. Uh, But to be truly progressive is to worship and praise God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because that's where we're all heading. You know, on one hand, we worship God in response to his revelation, but we also worship God because as we worship, as we focus on the very character and glory of God, we once again are reacquainted with his glory. It's like our eyes become opened. So often in the Christian life, we become dumb to the spiritual things, to the things of God. Uh, One of my favorite movies to watch with Susan is The Notebook. And um, it's a great story about a husband and wife in the later years of their life, an elderly couple. The woman, the wife has dementia. She no longer recognizes her husband. Nonetheless, he visits her every day. And he's telling her a story which is really drawing her in. She's loving to hear this story. Unbeknownst to her, it's the story of their courtship, of how they got together, of their wonderful life together. And she loves hearing this story. It tantalizes her. And she'll get to such a point that all of a sudden she realizes the man that's reading her the story is her husband and it's the story of their life. And it's a beautiful moment in the film because she realizes it, he sees that she recognizes him, they embrace and she asks, how long have I got? Knowing that it's, it's only a temporary moment before the clouds enshroud her again and she forgets who he is, but it's beautiful. And I often think worship is like that. As we praise and worship God, as we contemplate what Christ has done for us, eventually our eyes open and we begin to really worship this wonderful God. Why are we doing this series on worship? Well, earlier this year, you will remember that we conducted a natural church development survey. A number of people filled in a survey. In fact, we did it for each congregation. It's a first for us at St. Tom's. Natural Church Development, NCD, they note eight eight essentials for church life. If you've got these essential elements in your church, if they're healthy, then you've got a healthy church, a prosperous church, growing. Um, The eight essentials, you may not be able to read them there, but it's empowering leadership, gift-based ministry, passionate spirituality, effective structures, inspiring worship services, holistic groups, small groups, need-orientated evangelism, and loving relationships. Now, what uh, NCD NCD do, once we fill in that survey, is they graph us on each of those points, listing what is really uh, strong and where the weakest point might be. And they call those weakest points the minimum factor. And uh, you can see that um, bucket up there, how it's got different staves at different heights. And they're saying, you will leak from your minimum factor. Your, your Your church will only be as healthy as that minimum factor. Would anyone like to guess what our minimum factor is? Okay. A bit of a hint. It's the... um, uh, the title of the sermon today, which is Passionate Spirituality. 
our minimum factor, passionate spirituality. It's actually the lowest for our 8.30 service, for our 10.30 English service. It's the second lowest for the Cantonese service. The 2 p.m. service is kind of out of the box. They are really healthy across virtually all things, but they're a, a new uh, congregation and are quite different in that way. Um, but we're all uh, apparently low on passionate spirituality. Um, I uh, met with um, Chris Appleby a few weeks ago. He came in and, and I was discussing the NCD survey with him. I said, oh, you know, the, the lowest factor, our minimum factor is um, passionate spirituality, to which uh, he responded, of course it is. We're Anglicans. <laughs> we do have a reputation, don't we? Now, despite the focus here being on where we've scored lowest, I, I want to add that there are actually many positives um, that we see here. There's many growth areas. And in fact, we, we did this survey back in 2015. And there is a graph that, that shows where we were in 2015 and where we are now, and that each area has grown. And significantly, it's been uh, great to see that the church is, is growing in its health. But because passionate spirituality was the lowest or the second lowest for three of our congregations, we thought it would be good to run this series on worship. One other point I want to add is, it's not that worship is unimportant to us here at the church. As a leadership team, we know that St. Thomas's as a whole values worship really highly despite scoring kind of low on passionate spirituality. In another survey that we conducted this year for our Mission Action Plan team was a survey on values. We listed 118 different kind of values and spiritual values, and we sent that out to a number of people at all of our congregations and asked them to tick five to 10 top values that they see as really intrinsic to St. Thomas's. What do we really value? What is it that's part of our DNA? And across all four services, all four congregations, the same three values came up strongest. Um, they are worship, community, and gospel. I think we've got that on the next slide. That's the top. Worship, community, and gospel. Worship, we value worship. We are passionate about our spirituality, and yet we've scored low there. Now, worship can mean different things to different people. For some people, worship is, is what we do when we sing and we praise God and we're demonstrative about our worship. And for others, it's the whole church service. Now, I came from a tradition that really viewed worship as what you do when you praise and sing and, and um, you know, Hillsong was the, the height of worship kind of experience. And when I heard Anglicans talk about their church service as worship, I thought, they've got it wrong. It didn't make sense to me to, to call our church services worship um, because it's, it's more about singing and praising God. I mean, the Apostle Paul encourages us. He says, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. He says, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. 
But perhaps, perhaps worship is even more broad than that, than singing. Even more broad than a church service. In our reading from Romans today, we see that worship is a whole-of-life act. It requires inward renewal and serves or demonstrates itself in community. First, it's a whole-life act. Paul urges us to offer up our bodies. Now, he doesn't just mean our physical bodies there. Rather, he means our whole person. Uh, I love this... um, these lyrics from the, from the hymn, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Paul urges us to do this, this very thing, in view or by God's mercies. Now, what it means by God's mercies is through God's mercies, and it's a very important point. For years I read Romans 12, chapter 1, as offer up your lives to God, offer up your bodies, just the imperative. But Paul adds, uh, through God's mercies. And that's a very important point to remember. Especially when you're keenly aware of how much you've failed. Of how you've gone astray. Of how much you've sinned. You realise that what you're offering up to God is actually quite damaged. Quite broken. In Psalm 25, one of my favorite psalms, David begins this beautiful prayer of offering himself up to God. Uh, He says these words, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Beautiful words. But if you read that whole psalm, you'll quickly see that his soul, which he's offering up to God, is tainted by sin. He prays, do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. The offering up of our lives takes into account that we have sinned. And therefore, we can only offer it up through God's mercies, his faithfulness, his love, his grace to us in Jesus Christ. It's kind of like, imagine a a poor, uh, impoverished husband who wants to give his wife a gift, but all he can give is old flowers that no longer look any good. It's hardly a gift. And yet she receives them graciously and loves them. That's a kind of a picture. We offer up to God our lives with all of its frailty, all of its faults. We do so in view of God's mercies. God, of course, has no need of us. He doesn't need our service. He doesn't require our worship. And so we come offering ourselves to God through his mercies. What empowers passionate spirituality? I think it is such an attitude, offering our whole life to God through his mercies, knowing that he takes us and transforms us. The psalm that comes to mind is Psalm 84, where the psalmist says, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than live in the tents of wickedness. Passionate spirituality is first and foremost sparked by an understanding of God's glorious being. So much so that nothing can compare with being in his service. 
So first, worship is an act of the whole life, and second, it requires inward renewal. Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. As Christians, we, we seek to have the mind of Christ, to think like Christ thinks, to see people through his eyes. And as such, we are his students, or the correct word is we are his disciples. In offering our lives up to God, we are equally asking that we might learn from Christ in order to be like him. Psalm 25, which I mentioned earlier, David offers up his life, his soul, but within that prayer, he prays this, make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths, lead me in your truth and teach me. And later in that psalm, David encourages himself, saying, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. He leads the humble in what is right. He teaches the humble his way. Can you hear the encouragement that he he gives to himself? When was the last time that you checked yourself in terms of noticed what you think about? When was the last time you noticed a proud thought and you wanted to stop it by saying, that's not right, I'm a Christian, those things don't matter anymore? Passionate spirituality requires our ongoing transformation. Uh, The commentator Thomas Schreiner writes of such people, their minds are not given over to futility but are renewed to understand the truth. The means of transformation does not bypass the human personality or the brain. Human beings are transformed as their thinking is altered. So first, worship is a whole life act. Second, it requires inward renewal. And third, it serves in community. From Thomas Schreiner again, he puts it concisely, believers who live wholly for God are committed to community. Our service to God is expressed to one another and of course means that each of us will be confronted with our own pride. Paul writes authoritatively, for by the grace given me I say to everyone among you not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned to you. Now we want to be a church full of people, growing in passionate spirituality. Now, one caveat to that is passionate spirituality is not a sign of spiritual maturity. For instance, a new Christian may have an abundance of passion, but still immature in their faith. Remember the seed that falls among the rocks sprouts very quickly? But it's hard to think of spiritual maturity coming about without passionate spirituality. So we want to encourage the passionate spirituality of one another. And one key way we do this is through humble service, forsaking our pride and serving the community according to the individual gifts that God has given each one of us. Now, Paul doesn't use the term passionate spirituality, it's uh, but not foreign to him. The word that he uses is zeal. Later in this same chapter, Romans 12, Paul says, do not lag in zeal, be ardent 
in spirit. Serve the Lord. Each of us can foster this zeal, this passionate spirituality personally in our own reading of scripture, in our own prayers, in our own reflecting on the nature of God and offering ourselves up to God in view of his mercies and learning from Christ. And we can each encourage the passionate spirituality of one another, the zeal of our church, through humble service of one another. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your divine mercies shown to us in your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we offer up our lives as individuals, no longer conform to worldly ways, transform us by a renewed mind. May we have the mind of your dear Son. May his humility become so part of us that we might serve one another in serving you. And so encourage one another in our passion for your glory. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord.